Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Ruth chapter 4 verses 11 through 22 on my last message in this series. Um, on three, one, two, three, let's go. Amen, amen, amen. You know how we do. I want you to look at somebody next to you. I want you to say, neighbor, whether you know it or not, God always does more for you than you bargain for. Okay, look at somebody else. They're not feeling you. Look, look at the other person on the other side. Say, say, friend, let me explain something to you. No matter what's going on in your life, I'm explaining this to you now. God always does more in your life than you bargain for. How many of you can testify to that reality? He always does more in your life than you bargain for. As always, let's go before him. God, we thank you, honor you for um, the fact that you don't mince your words with us. Not only that, Lord, you always, you always leave hope. Hope is what's necessary for us to continue to walk with you. And thank you that you've given so many of us that. And Lord God, I'm praying in the mighty name of Jesus that you would throw your weight around and help us to see your glory through knowing that you're going to do through us, you have done and you will do and you are doing through us more than we bargained for. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that? Say it. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Ruth to me is a canonical intertestamental passage of Scripture. Um, meaning that it is almost, um, but it, it, is, it is fitted between yet 
in the midst of uh, key areas of eras, rather, of the people of God in Israel and beyond. You see that this time of Ruth is fitted in the time of Judges. Somebody say Judges. Judges, of course, was the time in which people did what was right in their own eyes. And in the midst of that entire uh, uh, time of Judges, God begins to do something. Whenever the world goes crazy, he always anoints somebody to have sanity. In other words, God always has a remnant of sanity in the midst of craziness. So, so you can find hope in the fact that no matter how crazy it gets on planet Earth, no matter who's in the Oval Office, A to the doggone man, no matter who's in the Oval Office, I'm, I'm just trying to let you know, none of that really ultimately matters because I don't care who's in the office, what they say, what they do, I'm just letting you know it still is a dot in the grand matrix of God's sovereign work in the country, whether you like who's there and whether you don't like who's there. I'm trying to let you know that it still doesn't trump what God wants to do. Tomorrow, America could flip and begin to persecuting Christians. And guess what? God is still in control. They could repossess every piece of property that every church has, go into every bookstore and home and force their way in and remove the existence of Bibles and erase every verse off the Internet that ever existed. Yet in the grand matrix of that type of suffering, let me explain something to you. God is still at work. Don't you ever think. That, be, that things have gotten bad enough for God not to be at work. Don't let your life fool you into thinking that God isn't at work in it. Whether you're sick, whether you're in a season of mental destruction and illness, God is always at work. And the book of Judges lets us know that. That God never leaves a, rem, a remnantless period of communication and commitment. Never. Never does. And so we see here um, in this really the time of this is the annex of Judges or the appendices to Judges. And in between that is a new era. Somebody say a new era. A new era, a new era is about to come between uh, this time of Judges and now um, what's going to happen after this book is going to be the time of the prophets and the kings. But before that, you would think that this would be inaugurated with a lot more hopefulness with a lot more swag. And actually, you would think it would be a man who's a prophet or a priest or a king that would start this, but it's interesting that God uses a woman who's bitter and has been through some stuff and hasn't had the right response to God. Even in her lack of a right response to God, God is committed to still using her. Oh, you should have got excited right there because some of you have, haven't had the best response to God yourself to what you've gone through. If you remember how you respond, I, I was just at the emergency room with my wife again yesterday. Amen. Y'all got to get quiet. We all right. We all right. And, and I, can, I said, oh, this is a test, but I'm frustrated. I'm just, I know. But I'm and God always utilizes, listen, God always utilizes things that you wouldn't know God would use to help nurture you into the reality of where he wants you to be. And your response to it, your response to it doesn't even dictate what God still can do. Because you can have a bad response to what you went through and God can still redeem the guttural, gully, nasty, trifling response that you have to him. And so we see it in this book. We see that God doesn't use uh, the, the most likely women to change the world or likely men to change the world. He uses two widows. 
two widows. They've gone through everything from tragedy, a bitter response, yet in the midst of the book of Ruth, we've seen over and over and over again that there is a relentless and loyal God that still chases you even though you stop chasing him. That, 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 oh, you don't know when to shout. That's a beautiful thing because, because the fact that God's loyalty to us is not based on our commitment to him and disposition to him, that's a beautiful thing. And that's the glory of the gospel. The gospel is not our commitment to being hot seekers of God. It's about actually God being a hot firecracker after us, even in the midst of our mess, even in the midst of our belligerence, and even in the midst of our ignorance. But what's beautiful about the process of God's providence and loyalty in her life that he hadn't stopped working, he's still working while she's bitter. In the background, he's doing all different types of things. As a matter of fact, I believe heaven is going to have a movie background of each one of our lives. I don't know if you ever finally got the DVD of a film, if anybody still does that. Um, anymore by DVD and they have they have the the behind the scenes stuff and I don't know if you ever seen the behind the scenes the making of the movie God 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 listen God's providence shows us the making of the movie of our life and so when we see his loyalty there, there there's background that goes to who you became help me today there's a lot that he was up to in that and so we see that in the lives of these ladies yet we see the hope that begins to come because of it and as God seeks us, there are times in those points where he seeks us where we begin to get a glimmer of hope. And not only a glimmer of hope, a change of heart. And as we begin to get a change of heart, we begin to walk in godly participation with what God was already doing. I love this because I, we're participating in what God initiated. We don't initiate anything good in our lives. Everything good in our lives is initiated by God. What we do is we find out God is up to something good and join him in it. That's what we see in this book, which brings me to my one and only point as it pertains to God always does more than you bargain for. Uh, point number one, and I only got one point, I'm out your way. God uses terribly broken people to spark extraordinary things. God uses terribly broken people, terribly broken people to spark extraordinary things. Verse 11 says, All the people who were at the gate, including the elders, said, We are witnesses. I like this because it shows uh, the beauty of what life is like when you submit and open your life to the body of the people of God. What you'll begin to see is... What happens when the covenant community comes around events in our lives and speaks life into those events? You're going to see some of the things that they begin to speak into in a godly way. I'm not talking about name and claim it. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about the godly nature of us uh, uh, investing verbal attributes of goodness into somebody's life as we allow ourselves uh, to be encouraged by the community. Many of us are starved, starved from the encouragement that we need because we refuse to be around the body. When you say stuff like, say stuff, I don't, I don't like the church and I hate the church, well, if you're a believer, you're hating on yourself because you're a part of the church. And what happens is, is God has divinely wired you to want to be around people that are being changed like you. 
And so in that reality of being divinely wired for that particular change and you're around other people, you need voices in your life. I don't care how old you get. I don't care how seasoned you get. I don't care how many degrees you get. I don't care how much accomplishments that you have. You need the body. And in needing the body, we see the glory of this in this passage that shows us that we are supposed to share in one another's stories. We support to share in one another's journeys because as you share in one another's stories and one another's journeys, you experience uh, a, a, a lot of commitment and you get healed from things in ways that you never thought you would. It wasn't until God inserted Ruth and Naomi back into the community of the people of God when he began to practically heal them. You didn't, they didn't get practically, she didn't heal from her bitterness until she got around people who can help her through it. Oh, God, help me today. There's some of you that the reason why you're still bitter after all these years because you've inserted yourself outside of everything else and you're all alone and nobody can help you. If you put yourself in the realm of health, see, the realm of health is that which will help you to be called back in. And what we're seeing is Naomi on the better side of her story. And what do we see here? We see it says three, they, they give, they, they just start praying for him. I like this. Now, it's interesting that they give these, which when you say, see in the Bible, may the Lord, that, that's, that's, that's that disposition by I'm talking to you, but I'm really talking to him for you. Oh, help me today. Um, 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 in, in other words, some, in, in Israel, when someone is wishing you well, see, it takes a grown-up person to wish somebody well and not just wish for themselves. And, 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 and they're watching God at work in their life. And, 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 you, and, you, and they're so flabbergasted. They're not jealous that God is helping somebody else. That's not what they did. They say, I'm happy just to be able to see what God is doing. Oh, y'all not going to talk back. Uh, uh, um, see, see this, is one of, this is the prayer circle of the community. See, we don't know nothing about that in these new churches because we don't like prayer that much. We looking around and yawning and want the thing to be over. But I remember when I first became a believer. I first became a believer. I started walking with the Lord. And I was in First Baptist Church of Highland Park. Now, you know what, what all that means. Um, I mean, seasoned saints, and there was a bunch of us young adults. And I went to the young adult ministry. See, we don't know about We don't need a young adult ministry yet. The church is a young adult ministry. <laughs> but... <laughs> but, but one day, all of us going to get old enough where we're going to be like, them young people, and we're going to need the young adult ministry, right? So, but I'm in the young adult ministry, and at the end of everything, there's going to be prayer. Now, now, the way we prayed, it's just everybody by your heads, and then somebody just blurt something out. Nah, that ain't how we prayed in First Baptist Church of Highland Park in Landover, Maryland. What we did was everybody had to get up out of their seats, come over to the side into a full circle, and clasp hands and drop everything on the floor, take your hood off and take your hat off. Somebody going to hear me today. And then all of a sudden, this old deacon, <laughs> grab my hand. Now you got to understand, when they grab your hand, you, you kind of hate that they grab your hand because they moving the whole time. <laughs> I don't know nothing about that. During the prayer. And, 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 and he, he's old and literally doesn't have any business. I don't even know how he got in the young adult Bible study. 
He's like 75, 80. And he grabbed my hand, and I could feel the varicose veins in his hands. And it's almost like he began to open his mouth, and we literally were Star Trek transported into the throne room of God. And he began to say, ah, God. And everybody, I said, I don't know what that was. I felt something in the whole, I, you know, I didn't know what a Christian was. I didn't know what a evangelist, I didn't know none of them were. All I knew is when this joker started praying, God was here somewhere Shekinahly present. That ain't a word, but, I, you know, he, I, and, 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 and what he began to pray, I believe, sent reverbs to the time stream of our lives. You, you got to have some people in your life that can knock down the time stream of your existence and begin to change some stuff because the prayers of a righteous person availeth much. So it says here, says here, may the Lord, the, this, this is the community talking to her. They say, may the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah. Oh, my God. Well, why would you, she asked that a Gentile would be like matriarchal and patriarchal Jews. That, that's a good prayer. Now, now, you don't understand that. Now why didn't she mention Rachel and Leah? Because Rachel and Leah, even with their handmaids, the 12 tribes of Israel, even the ones that they didn't have, were technically theirs. So, so what they were, the children of Israel, are the progenitors of the entire generations of the people of God. What she begins to pray is, she says, I'm praying. They had, she had, Rachel and Leah, between them, didn't even have all these kids, but between four women, 12 people were born. I'm praying that this woman will have one child that does just as much as 12 people would do just through one person coming through your womb. Ain't nobody going to talk. See, I need them type of people praying in my life, speaking into my life, showing love in my life. But what I like about this is they saw marriage so much differently than we did. They didn't see marriage as a way to quench loneliness. Help me today. They, they didn't merely see marriage as, as a way to, for me to grow old with someone. All of those things are important, but they're not central. They saw marriage as an opportunity to participate in something. <laughs> um, uh, they, they wanted to participate in redeemed image bearers coming on earth so that generations could be changed by you raising a godly seed. Ain't nobody gonna talk back to me today. Um, um, it, 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 because, because, because timelines on earth are changed by changed people. Okay, ain't nobody gonna talk back. And, and, so, and, so, and, so, and so what you begin to see and what you begin to experience, what happens is the glory of this in this text, which breaks us and helps us to understand the work of God. It reminds me of over 17 years ago when my wife and I didn't think we could have any children. And we, we just wanted, I don't you know, want to hold a baby. We had all of these personal things we want to do. But I read a scripture. It says, women are saved through childbearing. In 1 Timothy chapter 2. And a woman being saved through childbearing doesn't mean she's not saved until she has a baby. That's not what that means. Some of y'all are like, dang. Um, that's not what that means, right? It points to the sanctifying work that children has on you while you raise them. 
Now see, if you ain't got no kids yet, Children help you to grow in areas that you didn't even know existed in your life. Ain't nobody going to talk back to me. Ain't nobody going to talk back to me. They help you. In other words, childbearing is a sanctification process. It's a means by which God used to sanctify you. But in the midst of the sanctification process is also an opportunity that you don't let the pain that comes through having the child and raising the child get in the way of you properly seeing what their function is. So instead of just praying that my wife would just have a baby so that we can just have a child, I, I laid my hands on her womb. I said, God, in Jesus' name, help us to be able to be participants in developing and discipling Jesus Christ lookalikes. And, and, and I don't know about you, but in my, he came to the first service, but in, up there in my office is a 15-year-old working on his homework for this week. And upstairs are three other ones up in the children's ministry. We, we love our children, but there, something consumes us with this reality is we want to see them know God. We want to see them walk with God. We want to see them change the world through Jesus. Want to see that. So marriage was more than that to them. It was the survival of the kingdom. Kingdom survival was what childbearing pointed to. He said, may the Lord make the, the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. It reminds me that when Eve had Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel died, I mean, Cain uh, killed Abel. And he created an ungodly lineage as the first seed of Satan. But then later on, the Bible says, and Adam knew his wife. She had a son, and his name is Seth. And men then began for the first time again to call upon the name of the Lord. In other words, she learned something that made her invest that now started generations of Yahweh callers. Oh, that's a good book title, Yahweh callers. Let me keep moving. It says, may you become powerful in Ephrathah. That's the word we struggled through earlier. Um, <laughs> may you become powerful in Ephrathah and your name be known, well known in Bethlehem. I love that. I love that. So she said, I want this name to go forth, which we'll see that this name is going to be the name ultimately that she's pointing to is going to be bigger than any name that ever existed. Verse 12, it says, may your house Become like the house of Perez, the son of Tamar, the son Tamar bore to Judah. Because of the offspring, the Lord will give you by this young woman. And it says, Boaz, this is, this is beautiful right here. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he slept with her. That's good order right there. Then it says, and the Lord granted her conception. I like that. When they came together, 
Yahweh didn't turn his head. He showed up and made any, he made sure she was able to conceive. I love that. This is a beautiful thing because God is all in this. And it says, and she gave birth to a son. I love all of this. Then it says, the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer. In other words, the Lord has been at work. Don't you see that? That's what she tells him. She said, she's, she's like, God was still working in the midst of every frustrating moment in your life for this moment that you're at right now. You need some people to talk to you like that. When something comes to pass in your life, they take their glasses off. That's how you know they're serious. And they look down at you like that. And they tell you, don't you know? See, that's how you know somebody loved the Lord and you. They said, don't you know God has always been at work? See how you was acting all crazy, your journey, and you calling me all times of the night? Look at what God was up to. You need somebody to remind you at the moment when God brings it to pass that it was God that was at work all all the way through the thing. It wasn't God at work just when it happened. It's been God at work the whole time. The whole time. The whole time. That's the beauty of the gospel of Christ. It keeps God near. Uh, I, can't, I can't do that right now. I gotta, whew, I gotta move. Lord, have mercy. It's beautiful to know that every waking moment that God was up to something. Then she says to her, she says, may the name, may his name become well known in Israel. They didn't even know what she was having. She just said, may his name. Not that they didn't like women, because there's a lot of women in the Bible. But here they needed a progenitor. And it's beautiful that she was saying, basically, the Lord made sure that he left nothing in your life unredeemed. See, y'all don't, don't know when it gets good. See, this, this drama, yep, and mess that has happened in your life that you don't know what God could do anything with. And God took that thing and he put something together that was un-doggone believable. My mama, we, we, had, we had a lot of, you know, things in our home. And, and one of the things that... What we would do is mom, we wouldn't be able to get some food sometime. Mama would have a bunch of stuff in the fridge that was just leftovers. And I don't know what she would do. She'd take some flour, water like some onions and some garlic and stir it in the pot, put a little water in that mug, thicken it up. And then the leftover chicken and vegetables and all these different things. She would, I'm like, what is she doing? And she would stir all of these seemingly unrelated, unconnected things together. And all of a sudden, she'd get some rice, put it at the bottom, scoop that mug up, and yakawism it all over the rice, and hand it to you. And that thing would taste so good, but it's a bunch of leftover, disconnected things that should have been thrown out. But she took those scraps and all of those pieces of things and made them into an entire edible meal. That's what God does with the brokenness in your life. He's able to take a piece of your past, 
a piece of your brokenness, a piece of your frustrated mind, a piece of your, 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 your sickness. He could take a, 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 a piece of your mental illness. He, oh, y'all ain't talking back to me. He could take a piece of your parental hurt. He can, he, can, he can take each one of those different things and he can make them all into something that's user-friendly for your life. He redeems everything. Jesus redeems everything in your life. Then it says, says, she says something further. She says, in this prayer, she says, my prayer also is, is that he will renew your life. Wow. And sustain you in your old age. Now, see, now we don't know nothing about that. You know, because back then, when you had a child, you know, back now we got 401k, 403b, uh, you know, Roth IRAs. They had that back then. You had kids. And I'm old, all right? That's what happened. He's going to sustain her in her old age. But when I smell this text, the aromatic notes of it smell bigger than what this person here can do. In other words, renewing your life has to be more than any human being can do. We'll see in a second. And it says, indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. And as it begins to say, she says, he wants her to be better than seven sons and this one son. And Naomi took the child, there he is, placed him on her lap, and became his nanny. She adopted him. And I like this. You just keep seeing people just talking to them. It seemed like people are in everybody's business. That's a good thing. It says the neighbor, the neighbor women said, see, they're not gossiping. Look what they're doing. Speaking into each other's lives. Anyway, that's okay. It said, a son has been born to Naomi. Now, it didn't say Ruth, it said Naomi, redemption. Then it says, and they named him Obed. Somebody say Obed. Obed. This is real good right here. Obed's name means worshiper. Now, Naomi names him, not Ruth. Now, remember when Naomi first had two kids, that she named in chapter one her children Mylon and Kilion. One was named weak and sick, and the other one's name meant frail. She named them based on her circumstances. But now God has changed her circumstances and changed her disposition. And she didn't name them based on what was going on in her life. She named them as a wish for where she wants her life to be and his life to be. In other words, she wanted him to be a worshiper. Now, a worshiper just doesn't mean a shouter because anybody can shout. See, a worshiper here, a worshiper means someone that carries on the name of the Lord with them. That means a person that promotes Yahweh's covenantal commitment to his people. Worship is the promotion and exaltation of God's loyalty and love for his people. And so she wants to name him worship, but his name not only means worship, it means also a servant. So she wants him to be a worshiper and a servant, but it's not done there. We're not done there because it's beautiful in the text. It says, David's genealogy, it says right here, it says, in verse 18, it says, now, these are the family records of Perez, father of Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered 
Nashan. I know we like that. We like that. You know, Nashan. That sounds familiar. Anyway, I had to say that. Fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This is beautiful. Because what we see here is, remember, Obed's name means worshiper. He fathered Jesse. His grandson is David. Worshiper has a grandson named David. Worshiper has a grandson that he hands down the legacy of the commitment to Yahweh down to Jesse. Jesse hands it down to David, but Obed was in his life too, so he handed it down to David himself. David, as a 12-year-old, is out watching the flock in the backyard. And he begins, he's a singer. He got, he got some, some vocal ministry. And David starts singing songs. I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from which cometh my help. It comes from the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I look around me, I see green pastures. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He begins writing song after song. In his heart, he begins to fight bears, and he begins to fight lions, and he begins to go into a, a fight with Goliath, and he gets mixed up because he said, who is this punk out here that would run his gums against the armies of God? That didn't just come from nowhere. That was men invested in David as a worshiper of Yahweh that cared about the name of God to the point where you are going to talk crazy about David's God and David not do anything about it. In other words, they got more than they bargained for. These two broken women, widows, issues, challenges out of them comes kings. But it doesn't end there. Because they had a lot of generational unfaithfulness. King after king. As good as David was, he's not the hero of the Bible. He did a lot of great stuff, wrote a lot of good stuff, but he still eh, fell short. Here comes Solomon, big boss of the kingdom. He got all this loot, all this bread, all this wisdom, but squanders it. He has a son, Rehoboam, splits the kingdom. Goes down over and over and over and over again until years later, a young woman from Galilee got visited by an angel. And this angel said, blessed art thou among women because of the fruit of your womb. And she said, how can this be? The Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's going to come upon you and you're going to have a child. And you shall name him Jesus. Why? Yahshua, you will, he's, God is our salvation. Why? He will save his people from their sins. But if you look at his bloodline and look back, you see a Gentile convert in his bloodstream. You see kings in his bloodstream. But little did you know that their bloodstream, even though they had his, he had their DNA, he didn't have their sin. 
So out of nowhere comes the purest bloodline that now their bloodline starts over and Jesus begins to create a new bloodline. Help me today. That whoever puts their faith and confidence in the fact when they hung him high and they stretched him wide and he bled and he bled and he bled and then he dropped his head in the locks of his jaws. It was quiet on Friday. It was quiet on Saturday. But early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. We got us a brand new progenitor. And his name is Jesus, Lamb of God, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Y'all sit down. Y'all sit down. Y'all sit down. I got one last thing. I'm done. One last thing and I'm done. One last thing, period. Do you think Naomi and Ruth would have ever thought that God would be born through their bloodline? <laughs> they didn't know what God was nurturing in their life through all that pain. In order to, some of you are control freaks. You think you can control your life. You think you can control your life, but you can't control your life. She saw that God ultimately was in control. I'm going to say this and I'm done. My 15-year-old son is a video game fanatic. He loves video games. And my two youngest, my three and two-year-old, when he grabs the remote, they are all in the mix. They're trying to grab his remote because they, they, they want to get control of the game. So we got two broken remotes that we give to them. What happens is, as Manny's playing the video game, they are excited. They're doing like this and going like that. They're like, they're doing like that and playing the video game. And they swear up and down that what's going on on the screen is being done by their own hands. But little do they know that their big brother is sitting right beside them. And although they have their hands on a remote, he has his hands on the remote. And they go through boards, they go through seasons, they get rewards, and they think all of their fiddling and all of their twiddling is getting stuff done. But it's not their hands that got anything done. It was the hands of their big brother. All I'm trying to tell you today is that your big brother Jesus has taken control of your life. And you fiddling and you trying to work and you trying to make it happen. Keep on doing it. But I'm just trying to let you know that ultimately he's the one that makes the game get to the end. And I love it when my son finally wins the game. When he finally wins the game, he looks at him. He said, wasn't that good? They high five, and they won the game, and they think they won the game. But it wasn't them who won the game. It was him who won the game. All I'm trying to tell you today is with all your striving and all your work, Jesus, he's won the game. That's it. I'm done.
He's already won the game. Maybe you're here and you've never put your confidence in Jesus. The one who won the game. Jesus won on your behalf. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.